We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to another episode of the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm joined by a very, very, very special guest. I've got Shane from the Nets Man Up podcast and one of the kings of Nets spaces with our guy, DJ. Shane, how are we, my friend? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Yeah, I cannot complain. I mean, last night's game, I sort of got the, the dirtiness of it washed off me, and now we get to chat a bit more Nets general topics with you, and I'm looking forward to getting stuck in. We'll We'll, get, we'll go right up the top, and we get to the boy Ben Simmons, Ben 10. Shane, where do you stand on Ben Simmons' current status? Do you think he's going to play this season? We've got actual updates. We've got Steve Nash saying Steve Nash things. We're getting reports from ESPN, Adrian Watson asking Ramona Shelbourne. Where do you stand with the, the Ben 10 saga? Uh, I think this situation is a lot similar to the hard and hamstring situation last year towards the end of the season, like, Harden, I'm pretty sure, re-aggravated it and only played, like, three regular season games before the playoffs. I expect this to be similar. Like, I know a lot of people think, like, I probably wouldn't expect Ben to be fully healthy this year. I feel like at this point it's unrealistic because even if he was healthy, like, asking someone to play five games and perform at peak capacity in the playoffs is a tough ask for anybody. But championship windows are short, and I'm sure he sees that, like, he has a real chance to win with this team. So I, I, I do expect him to play, but probably with like five regular season games max going into the playoffs. But I think I do think he does end up playing. Yeah, no, it was interesting because we saw, I think that the original reports were the target date was this Portland game. I think that was reported by Adrian Wojnarowski, if I'm not mistaken. And obviously, the yeah, epidural, the flare-ups. I saw a video of some Nets fan putting out a video of Ben Simmons trying to pick up the ball at the game or whatever. I'm sure you probably saw that. We're all pretty tuned into Nets. It obviously doesn't look great. And, I, you know, I've, I've become somewhat of Nick and I have had to become back experts trying to figure out what does an epidural actually do here? Nick's had his back issues and such. But yeah, they said a couple of games and five games would be you know, more than generous, I think, considering that. Do you think two games is enough? What, what do you see his role if he were to return let's say, anywhere between two to five games? Does he, take, does he just take James Johnson's minutes? Does he start over Bruce Brown and play, you know, 35-plus minutes? How do you see him sort of fitting in and hopefully getting back to a modicum of his best? I think he starts. I think he definitely starts but and plays heavy minutes. But I think 
a big reason we've seen James Johnson play a lot over Blake is because I think they plan on just when Ben is healthy, basically just flipping those minutes into Ben minutes. It, it makes a lot of sense where it's like, it's not really an adjustment and he can kind of play his game. Like I think they've kind of strategically started using lineups where when Ben does play, if he plays, you wouldn't really have to alter the entire rotation. So he can still get most of his normal minutes while still playing in lineups that suit him best. For, for some of the people who might not know some of those lineups, you're pretty tuned in and you watch the game. You've done some great threads of, of some of the games recently. What are some of those lineups that you do see Ben fitting into seamlessly? Um, in the second unit, I, I can see Ben and Clax playing together with Kyrie, Patty. Because even though Patty's been missing a lot of shots, his, like his spacing, like teams don't leave him open. Like he's getting open shots, but that's through the gravity of stars. It's not like they're like he's missing shots, we'll leave him open. And then the third guys, I was probably say is Dragic. So probably three guards, Ben and Clax. Look, I think that Ben is such a good player that you could probably play with everyone but Drummond. I think that we probably agree with that. And even then, you know, in Philadelphia, he played alongside a big so goddamn often and he still played high level basketball, but the Nets have the luxury of being a bit more versatile they don't necessarily have a bit of that much size but they do have ball handlers they do have shooting you know seth patty obviously hopefully he gets back to some of his best and and stuff but obviously you you see him coming back shane which is a positive sign i probably do as well i'm hoping but i've become more pessimistic by the day but can the nets win a championship without him i put it out there on on twitter a couple of days ago and look there are there are varying answers and, and obviously there is no right or wrong answer it's just can you see it happening if Ben Simmons does not play? We don't see him at all this year or in the postseason. You know, fingers and toes crossed that the Nets are there. Can the Nets still win the chip? I definitely think they can. I think, like Ben is Ben is a, in my opinion, Ben is a is a luxury, but a hell of a luxury. I still don't think he's a complete necessity. I'm not saying that this team is a prohibited favorites without Ben, but. In my opinion, if you compare this team to last year's team, and obviously teams around the league also got better, but Dragic is essentially playing the Mike James role without James Harden. Like, I'm going on the lineups, the the team we saw before Kyrie got hurt without Harden. So just with KD and Kyrie. In the playoffs against the Bucks, Dragic is going to be playing the Mike James role. We didn't have Drummond. Like, how many bigs could we legitimately, could we legitimately play besides Blake against the Bucks last year? None. So we have, I would say, three, I would honestly say three playable bigs if we use them, right? Because I still think Blake can play a role, even though he's hasn't really played much. Like, I think he'll be ready. So I would say Blake, Clax, Drummond. The three-guard lineup is, like, the lineup that we probably had the most success against with the Bucks. Three guards and KD at the four. So I actually think this team is better than last year because, like, the Bucks like to run drop coverage, as we all know. Seth being able to punish drop coverage is a big dimension because – like, you're not going to give Seth that shot. And then if you step up, that opens up the spacing for everybody. So even without Ben, I think they're the best team in the East, assuming Kyrie's full-time. If Kyrie's not full-time, like, it's going to be real tough to win without Ben and uh, part-time Kyrie against the better teams. But assuming he's full-time, I, th- I still think they're the best team in the East. Look, I, I think you're, you're right on the money with that. We've seen Kyrie and KD do some incredible things. We saw them destroy the, the Philadelphia 76ers of late, given what they were sort of doing. And I guess we should jump into the, the Kyrie stuff. And 
we saw our man DJ post some, a screenshot from some article. I'm not I'm not keeping up with all the, the vaccine stuff as much as you guys are because it doesn't really affect me as much given I'm down here in the, the southern hemisphere. But I saw some things about the fact that they could be rolling back some of the restrictions you know, in terms of traveling to Canada. There have been people that are conflicting with that. There are people that are thinking that it's more likely to happen in, in Canada that Kyrie could play than in New York given Eric Adams and everything that that he stands for and he's been doing of late. Where do you think, I guess, it's a similar sort of question with Ben. Do you see Kyrie being a full-timer? I think what I also saw as well was Katie actually made some comments about the fact that he spoke to Kyrie about you know the vaccine and stuff, and he's his own man. And I'm like, well, I haven't really heard that much from Katie. Like, normally he's quite deflective of it, and he just immediately goes, that's not my issue. He's a grown man. So hearing all those different varying reports and whatever it, it pertains to, What's going on with Kyrie, Shane? What do you think? I honestly think he ends up playing home games, man. Like, I, I, I think the biggest thing is the fact that it affects the Yankees and the Mets. Okay. Because baseball, it's 81 home games. You have 50 to 60,000 people. If you're losing a bunch of revenue from baseball, that, that affects the overall economy of the state. In Regardless of your of what you think about the vaccine, I mean, Eric Adams also has to act in the best interest of the economy of New York City. So with all that factored, I think the the fact that it's affecting baseball, I think is going to be the reason that Kyrie is able to play. And I think it happens before the playoffs, before opening day for baseball. And I just can't see I just can't see him not playing because like. I think the more we see Kyrie on the bench as the season progresses when he's not eligible to play, the optics are just going to look worse and worse. That you're letting this guy come to the arena, sit courtside, but he can't play the games. Like, I just think there's going to be a bigger, bigger microscope. And I do think he ends up playing. As far as Toronto, I saw DJ's posts. I've seen too many posts where we think there are loopholes and then we get there and then he's ineligible. So I'll just like, for other states, I believe it when I see it. But I do think Kyrie ends up being full-time before the playoffs. I don't think it, it ha- is going to happen as soon as we think. Like, I think a lot of us thought by now would kind of be settled. I'd probably say maybe a week or two weeks before the playoffs, he's full-time. Yeah, look, and obviously time is running out, I think. As soon as we started to see some of these pushbacks and, and everyone reading into little articles here and there, we're just like, cool, it's a matter of, of when, not if. And obviously, hopefully, we are still on that. And I think the point that you did, for those that aren't baseball fans and, and aren't you know probably in the loop with as much of that stuff, including myself, when does the season begin for the Mets and Yankees? Um, I believe April 7th, April 6th. Which is like around that. the time, I think, the like Mets... Like yeah, and then this final home game, I think, is the 9th or 10th, which is basically when I arrive in New York. So that'll be good timing for me. Let's put it that way. Maybe Eric Adams is waiting for a certain Australian. You know, Maybe Kyrie's Barclays debut may be the same day as Ben. Bro, that'd be... Don't, don't get me even thinking that way. You know, my optimism has been waning, but now he's started to get me on the bandwagon. I, I guess in, in putting all of, all of that together, Kyrie sort of coming back, do you think that, you know, him... What does his presence do for the Nets overall? We've sort of seen him sort of lead the team, you know, with KD out in, in, because of his injury and James Harden out because of fatness and, and overweightness and, and obesity. Uh, but in, in terms of Kyrie Irving and the whether it's the, the effect that he has on this team and, you know, we know a lot of people, the disrespect that he's gotten from a lot of national media people. I put out a tweet um, 
screenshotting some stuff from uh, a recent ESPN podcast via Tim Bontemps. Where do you how how much do you think Kyrie can impact the the environment within the Nets and their chances of winning a championship? I think pretty much everything. Like Kyrie, I think because he was a like this this happens with a lot of players that are dominant when they're younger. Like they're when they do start peaking, a lot of people don't see it as much because maybe their stats are similar. But like I feel like every Net fan can agree that even though Kyrie's been part-time this year, I feel like this is the best we've ever seen him play in his entire NBA career. Like, he pretty much has no weakness, and because of his availability concerns, I think when uh, when a lot of player rankings happen, he gets underrated, which is kind of understandable because the, the best ability is availability. But before the year, I feel like it was kind of unanimous, unanimously, unanimously thought around NBA circles that Harden is better than Kyrie. I don't even think that's a debate anymore. Like, I think it's flipped and it's not close. Like, Kyrie, I think the last six, seven games is averaging 30 on ridiculous efficiency. And I heard Nick talk about this last night on the pod. I think the biggest thing that the Nets lack right now, and this was true even when Harden was healthy compared to last year, is rim pressure. And Ben obviously solves that a great deal, but Kyrie also solves that because he can pressure the rim and he can and he has an in-between game. So it kind of really opens up the spacing. Like as he said, KD, a lot of KD's doubles comes from come from the perimeter, come out of the post. I think sometimes like it's clear that the Nets have to work tougher for their shots because they don't have that guard that can just get downhill and basically make life easier for everyone. Kyrie's ability to do that, I think pretty much changes the dynamic. Like I think you see that to an extent with Dragic, like Dragic's ability to get to the rim opens up everything. So imagine that, like paired with Kyrie, like we saw that in the Philly game when they played together. Kyrie, Dragic, I think Seth was with them, KD. That's really when the lead went from 20 to 30. So I think his presence pretty much means everything. I mean, you have two MVP caliber players in NBA history that usually leads to a championship or close to it. In terms of the, you, you mentioned Kyrie playing the best basketball in his career. Last season, he had a 50-40-90 career, a 50-40-90 season. You know, obviously, given the, the games that he missed or whatever, but still, 50-40-90 on any occasion is pretty goddamn insane. What have you seen that you, has made you notice him take his game to another level? Um, I just think it's experience. Like, I think generally most players, I think they peak later. Like, for example, I think... KD's peak now, even though he's not at his athletic peak anymore, I think due to the amount of schemes he's seen, the experience and the continued development of his skill set just makes it kind of worth whatever dip in athleticism. And Kyrie hasn't dipped in athleticism, but I just think like you can, he's always been great at picking his spots, but now it's like you never feel like he's rushed. You always feel like he's under control as a ball, as like a distributor, as a scorer. Like you pretty much feels like you pretty much feel like whenever he has the ball, the possession's gonna we're gonna get a good shot, whether it's for himself or for others. And I just think the way he can pick his spots, his playmaking, I think has improved. He pretty much has no flaw in his game. Like, and then you see you just see the confidence with every game, like getting, I guess, in a better shape. You just see an improvement and the percentages, like. The percentages have always been there for him. The efficiency has been there, but I just think like the overall master, the overall mastery of the game mentally is kind of what's setting him apart from previous years. I, I totally agree because I think I'm sitting with KD as well, and and you hitting on the point of just like 
the experience factor as you age, you just tend to get more wise and to get smarter. You know, they've, they've seen so many different situations. It, though KD did say, you know, he hadn't seen what he saw against Dallas in terms of the defense or whatever. I'm not sure he was He's speaking totally truthfully. He might have been speaking a little bit in jest. But the way Kyrie Irving, I, I just want to see, have, be in Kyrie Irving's head when he's out on a basketball court. And what goes through his mind to be able to go, okay, so I need to go here. How am I going to get there? I'll just let my instinct. I think his basketball instincts are unrivaled. You know, the only guys that sort of come to mind with me, it's basically just like Allen Iverson in, in terms of just the ability with the ball in his hands to just find space, create space. I also think he looks stronger. That's the one thing that really surprised me when he came back was his conditioning was just like, this dude is fit. And, like, he looks, like, strong. And we saw that, you know, in his 60-point performance against the Magic. Like, he was getting contact hard. And he was, like, strong. He was, like, having hang time. I'm just, like, this dude is physically peaking as well. Because I think he's about 29 as well. And, you know, don't, ladies and gentlemen, you, you get better with age. You know, the early 30s, late 20s. It ain't about the mid-20s to the early 20s these days. It's about the late 20s and the early 30s. Look at KD at 30, age 33. So I think that those are also factors that I've seen from him. That, And I think there's been games as well, and obviously the Sixers game is the one that sticks out quite a bit, where he's been really engaged defensively and really for sure. And sure. that's one thing that stuck out to me as well. I, I think I like what you said in terms of his basketball instincts. To me, KD and Kyrie are the anti-Harden in terms of just everything you name from being in shape. Like, if the roles were reversed and... Harden didn't know if he was going to play this year and he was unvaxxed. We've we seen what he looked like coming into camp now. Obviously, it's Kyrie's job to stay in shape, but I just think it shows a difference in dedication to committing to do everything it takes to win. Like Kyrie went vegan, I think, four or five years ago. You can see it in terms of he's gained explosiveness as he's gotten older. So even with his basketball instincts, what I like about watching Katie and Kyrie is. I just feel like their hardest style just felt so robotic to me that it was like whatever the defense did, he wasn't going to adjust. He was going to do what he did. And Kyrie and KD, I feel like you just see it in their shot attempts. Like some games they'll take two threes, some, some games they'll take 10. It's just based on whatever the defense has given them that they play the game through that way. Like the Mavs game is a prime, prime example in terms of KD. Like he didn't really force a lot of shots. He just took, picked them apart as a playmaker. If it was the other guy, we know it would have been a bunch of step back threes. Like the fact that they take what the defense gives them is that it makes them predictable and unpredictable at the same time, which opens up the entire uh, core for the Nets. And it's why they could play with two non-shooters. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. No, and uh, we've seen, you know, their offense absolutely explode in the absence of James Harden of late. And, you know, when Kyrie and KD have been healthy and, and basically as long as Seth or Patty has been informed, you know, the offense is looking pretty goddamn crispy. I had this question a little bit later in the doc, Shane, but I think we're on the, the sort of point now. In terms of just the, the experience of watching Katie and Kyrie play basketball, whether it's on TV, in the arena, I've only seen Kyrie play, I haven't seen KD play yet. We've sort of talked about the, the instinctual nature, uh, the purity with the way that they play the game, the respect with, they, with, the, with, with which they play the game. What phrases, words, how would you describe just watching KD and Kyrie play for this net squad? It's honestly unbelievable because I think, like, in the history of the game, like, there's probably been, like, 15 players who you would say, like, are perimeter players that had no offensive weakness or close to it, and 15 is probably being generous, and they are, like, two of the 10. And the fact that they're on the same team and what really makes them different is the fact that they're elite also off ball. The fact that they're elite off ball kind of, like, that's the reason if Ben plays two games, even though Ben has the ball in his hands more, no one is really concerned about the chemistry because we know what Kyrie and KD can do off ball. Like, they can adjust to anybody. So watching them, it's like, I don't take it for granted considering what the Nets have been before them. And it kind of makes me mad when, like, I see ownership kind of cheap out, in my opinion and cut corners where I feel like you have two generation of basketball players peaking, like you have to do whatever it takes to win. Definitely. And I think that just every night, it just feels like you you get something where it's just like, man, like these guys play for my basketball team. And I, I still relish the fact, I still have to pinch myself that, you know, one of the 10 best players in Kevin Durant and one of the most skilled, gifted individual basketballers with the ball in his hands and Kyrie Irving, you know, play for the black and white, play, play for Brooklyn. And it's just night after night after night, whether it's a, a KD dagger pull-up three and he's got three defenders in his face, whether it's Kyrie weaving his way through a quadruple team against the Miami Heat. It's just these guys do something that no other players can do. And I think that sometimes we get caught up in, like, the result and, and the, the end goal. And I think last year I was better at preaching, you know, let's enjoy the journey there. Let's enjoy, you know, these individual moments along the way. But because this season has just been so haphazard and, and inconsistent and, and rocky and, and crazy, it's been harder to enjoy it. But it's why I like sort of stepping, taking a step back, not doing the whole game of podcast and just going, man, Katie and Kyrie are, are fucking awesome. I, I hate to be explicit. I, I don't do it a lot, but they are just so great in terms of just the the way that they play this game. And the, there's there's few that have gone out there and, do, and, and that can do what they do. And to actually have them... On your own team, it's just, it's generational. You don't, and because, you know, this team is so important to us in in terms of how, you know, we consume it and how we talk about it on on Twitter and our podcasts and stuff, to have these guys, you know, be a a reason that we get to talk about it. We get to talk about these guys rather than, you know, whoever else it might be in seasons past. It's just, it's a privilege. It really is. Yeah, man. It's insane because, like, they're, they're like, there's few players, like, I feel like everyone's going to agree with this. Every time they shoot, I expect them to make it. Yep. And that's, like, just rare for really anybody. Like, even the best shooters sometimes, it's like, all right, like, 
like there's no bad shot in my opinion that they can take and the way they can score the unselfishness and what they play with I think is very underrated and it's a privilege to watch man and I and I hope we get to see it for years to come thankfully we do with KD we'll have to see if Joe Sizemore and to to get the pockets out for uh, to get his cash out for uh, Kyrie in the offseason might be a discussion for a little bit later but Getting back to the big man, Shane, I put out a bit of a poll early in the week asking which big man will have the biggest impact on the Nets for the rest of the season. Obviously, whether it's regular season, playoffs, however people wanted to interpret it. 61% believe it was Andre Drummond, 34% believed it was Nick Claxton, and 5% believed it was the Marcus Aldridge. Who do you think is the MVC, the most valuable center for this Brooklyn Nets squad? Um, if Ben isn't healthy... I would probably say Clax because we need a switch big. If he is healthy, then I'll probably I think Clax is the best big, but most valuable I would say Drummond because like his ability to rebound and the biggest difference I've seen with him now compared to previous years is he's looking to kick it out after a rebound. Like he's not looking to like his efficiency around the rim was terrible for previous years. Like the fact is He's legitimately a generational rebounder. And I think if you go back to last year, like injuries and all, if we take care of the ball better and we rebound, we win game seven. So I think he's probably the most valuable big if Ben isn't healthy. But I also, I I pretty much think all of these bigs could play a role besides Aldridge in the playoffs. Like, I think, I don't think there's any big that should play regardless of the situation. So it's kind of tough to say. I think they're all pretty much matchup based, but Drummond, aside from last night where I thought it was one of his worst defensive games with the Nets, I think he's been pretty solid enough on defense where I probably say he's probably the the big that I have the most confidence in right now. Yeah, the, I spoke about it on the pod last night about you know, just his him in the drop, like he's, he's normally okay, but he was just dropping away too deep. And it, it's interesting because normally when he gets up to the level, you know, he's not clax as a switch defender or whatever, but I just think he's better. Like he, he's, he's, a, he's an athlete. He's like 28 years old. You know, he's in his athletic prime. I think he can do that. And, you know, in possessions in the, in the last half against like Brandon Williams or whatever, he did do that, you know, much better. So I'm just, I'm, I just think that he just needs to be, you know, he can be disengaged and sometimes just be, a little bit dumb, like, and that's not like a bad thing because we all have brain farts in in terms of what we do. But you know, Clax obviously has those as well in terms of sometimes he's he's over eagerness. Do you think? I guess in saying that, it's interesting because all of these guys have such different skill sets. Who is the most matchup proof? So if we're going, I only give you one of these guys, and you know, and the Nets do have Ben Simmons healthy. So what the Nets at their best, you know, generally do play small. Clax can play basically play as a wing on the defensive end, given, but as an offensive player, are you playing alongside Ben Simmons? Both of them are non shooters. Uh, I don't know. Andre Drummond, you know, I think that, you know, in the post, he's shown a a little bit more than I would have expected. Uh, And I I think that he can be maybe a better offensive force given his offensive rebound. Clax has been using his athleticism there more so than Drummond sort of uses his strength and positioning. So that's one thing I've really sort of looked for. And Lamarcus Aldridge. Probably in the absence of Kyrie Irving is where his value has been. But early in the season against the Sixers when they hadn't beat healthy, you know, he was a really important part. So I don't want to discount him completely. And we know what Blake does. So this, And we've discussed Blake on, on so many episodes and you have on, on, on the spaces and your podcast as well. Are, there, are any of these guys match-up proof? Probably not, I guess. 
I actually think Clax is because um, I think the space that Ben and Clax playing together, I think can be like easily fixed, even though they're both non-shooters. Dribble handoffs, like there's not many switch teams. So the fact that there aren't many switch teams means you can get away with dribble handoffs, in my opinion. So if you're if you have a dribble handoff, it's like you have a big at the three point line. The person has to come up. So that automatically opens up the spacing. So at that point, you really only have one non-shooter because you're involving your other non-shooter in the action for your shooter. Like, I thought the Nets did a good job with that against Philly in the first quarter. Like, you couldn't really notice that Bruce and – like, obviously, Bruce isn't really a non-shooter anymore, but he's still kind of guarded like one. In the first quarter against Philly, like you saw when Drummond and Bruce were playing, it was hard to even see because they were just dribble – they were just doing dribble handoffs to Seth. So – and Bruce was cutting. So you kind of take – you were able to manipulate there being two non-shooters with making it work. And I think Clax's switchability offers the most value because, in my opinion, our biggest threats are Philly and Milwaukee. You need to switch big against James Harden. And you need, like, the Bucks like to do the Giannis Middleton uh, picking, like, dribble handoff. If you have Ben and Clax guarding that, like, I'm not sure there's a better combo in the league at defending that type of action. So I think his defense makes it the most matchup-proof because Kyrie and KD, like, obviously spacing helps players in the modern NBA, but, like, if Seth is out there, like, Ben is a smart basketball player. Even though he's a non-shooter, he can make himself valuable. Like, it can work. So, Clax's defense, to me, like, raises the ceiling of the team the most. I, I totally buy into that. I, I think that Clax, you know, has true all-defensive all level talent on that side of the floor in terms of switch bigs in the league right now. There are a few that are as good as him. You know, it's maybe Bam and, and Anthony Davis. Those are the two that immediately spring to mind. The fact that we're putting Nick Clax in the same conversation as those two guys in any skill, let alone on defense, which is a, a skill that you want out of you. You're big more, more than any other. It's. I think that it's interesting because I, I think all of us had our reservations about about Clax, you know, against the Sixers. You know, what's MB going to do to him? And I think Embiid's mentality on Clax was completely wrong. He was playing into Clax's hands a lot. He was just, like, foul-baiting. He was doing too much James Harden stuff. Let, let's put it that way. And I think that played into Clax's hands because I thought he played much smarter. And I think he's gotten a lot smarter. All he needs is, is reps. Like, this kid has so much freaking talent. And the one thing I loved about Drummond was, you know, he showed some really positive possessions uh, in that Milwaukee Bucks game. And we all know that that block was absolutely tremendous on Giannis. So it's to having, you know, a couple of different aces up your sleeve isn't the worst thing in the world. And the fact that, you know, Sean Marks went so hard to get Andre Drummond in this trade and obviously Seth Curry as well, it shows that these guys are, are having a true impact on this rotation right now. Yeah, we basically, like, I know a lot of people complained that we had too many bigs the day of the trade, but I actually liked it because I felt like Getting all those bigs kind of solved all our issues. We have a switch big. We have an offensive big in LaMarcus. We have a smart passing big that can take advantage of traps in Blake. And we have the best switch big and, and the best rebounder of his generation in uh, Claxton Drummond, respectively. So we pretty much don't have a weakness at big if we use if we truly use them in the right matchups, in my opinion. I totally, yeah. I, I think it's a really good way of putting in. I guess we, we've spoken about the bigs, so let's go to where the Nets probably don't have is, uh, you know, their, their size on the perimeter. It's basically KD, James Johnson, Kessler Edwards, and, and they're a, a glut of guards who, you know, each have their individual skills that we've sort of alluded to a little bit. 
Do you worry about the the Nets' lack of size on the perimeter or lack of you know wings? I guess is probably an easier way of putting it. Not really, because like I think the role everyone plays, like I've heard you guys talk on the pod about it, and I've agree. Like Clax is basically a wing on defense. Like he's a big in name only, but like you can put him, like you can switch him on a wing. So it's like if you have Clax, KD, and Ben like playing together. Or even just Clax and KD, like, that's not really different than Blake and KD last year at the 4-5 and five in the playoffs. And Bruce has kind of regained his form. So you have Bruce, who's good at the point of attack. You have a switch big, and then you have KD being able to roam and help. Like, I think they're pretty much fine at the wing. Like, are they the best in the league at the wing? Like, no one would mistake them for that. But they're more than good enough at the wing. Like, because Clax, I, I look at Clax as a, like, He's a big in terms of his role on offense, like screening, like in the short role, et cetera. But he's really a wing on defense. No, he he really is, and you know he just he and I think he might be better at it in terms of guarding you know smaller guys, whether it's at the guard you know through the three or four, compared to guarding bigs. Even though you know he has shown some some nice growth there, which I've been really happy with and basically playing more like a center um, than you know, I would have expected. It's a similar sort of trajectory to, to Jared Allen, which has been fun to see him have some success. Um, it's interesting because uh, there's there's matchups where you probably might be a little bit more more worrisome, but at the same time, if as long as the Nets have their talent, because you know a, a, a backcourt of Kyrie and Seth could get exploited in certain matchups, I think Seth more so than Kyrie um, because he's just always been not necessarily the greatest defender. But uh, his game against Philadelphia might say something against that. So uh, ultimately, I think it's it's going to be matchup dependent. It's going to be availability dependent, which is you know a, a bit of a, a reductive way of putting it all. But in terms of, I guess, Kessler Edwards, we've seen him come back into the rotation. It wasn't amazing last night. You know, we're getting into nitty-gritty. We're getting into Kessler Edwards, Kess Express stuff now, Shane. I know you like to get into more, more nitty-gritty stuff. What do you see his role as being? Could you see his contract being converted, or is that a long shot? I think at this point it's a long shot because who would you move on from? I, like Based on their love affair with James Johnson, I doubt it would be him. And I think it would be a mistake to cut Blake and convert Kess because those are the only two guys that I think are even candidates for. Because for Kess to be converted, someone has to be cut. And I also think, like, He's like, I think the threat of, I think the idea of him, like a lot of people talk about his defense, but I actually think his offense has more value. Cause like he's a legit quote unquote spacer at the forward position. And we really don't have any other non KD forward who's a spacer. So you even see it like teams don't leave him wide open, but I think he's more of a developmental guy. And I actually think, like, in the playoff series, if you if it came down to it and we had to play a rookie, I, I would trust Cam more than Kess. Yeah, in terms of just shot-making, and Cam was was getting back to a little bit of form last night as well, which was good to see. And I, I totally agree. I think that, you know, his perimeter threat, and you know, he's gotten a little bit better at, at, at straight-line drives and actually finishing some of the layups and dunks that he wasn't finishing at the start of the season. So that's been good to see. And, you know, I think... Again, I James Johnson is probably the new Javon Carter. He's the new sort of whipping boy for for the for the Nets fans, and I, I buy into it a lot because some of the times and some of the plays that he has there on the floor are, you know, a bit a bit head scratching at times. But 
you, know, you sort of see in, in certain games and in certain matchups. Again, I go back to the Milwaukee Bucks game because the games that I, I'm harking back to are the games that are going to matter, you know, the teams that are going to matter in the postseason. You know, the Nets could come up against the Bucks team. They could come up against the Sixers team. And James Johnson against the Bucks, I thought he had some really, really good possessions on Giannis. He had that block, which was pretty goddamn great as well. It's And I can't remember who it was that said it, but when it, it might have been Nick, it might have been someone else. When the team is fully healthy and you've got, you know, maybe even Ben's back by then, but you've got at least Katie and Kyrie healthy. The load on offense is, is lessened so much for James Johnson that he just has to be a defensive guy out there. An Andre Robeson type who can occasionally drive to the rim and use his physicality. He hit a mid-ranger last night. I'm not sure how many, how many times he's going to do that. <laughs> but I think with a lessened role, I, I, I think he can give you spurts in a similar way that we saw to Blake in last year's postseason. But I think that the Nets aren't going to rely on him as much, hopefully, if they're healthy. Yeah, as frustrating as James Johnson is to watch at times, like, I, I still think he's better than Kessler Edwards. Like, I think at the point early in the season, we all rather Kess could play because, like, we saw Javon and we didn't have wings and we thought he deserved an opportunity. And I think he's kind of, like, I don't think he's as bad as he's shown the last, like, month. I think, like, if everyone was healthy and he was just kind of getting spoon-fed buckets and having to play a role defensively and kind of just not having to be relied on to produce like anything he gives is a plus. I think it would be a lot. He would be a lot better, but I, I, I just think like you win with veterans in the playoffs, in my opinion, unless the rookie offers a skill like a Cam Thomas or like, I think Cam Thomas can turn a game around in like the first four minutes of the second quarter. Like he can get three baskets, force a team to call timeout. I just don't think Kess is capable of that right now. And I'm not saying it's like he has no chance to contribute, but like, I don't think I wouldn't cut James or James Johnson or Blake in order to convert him from a two-way contract to a standard. No, I think if like they had Bembry or they had Javon Carter still on the roster, it'd make a bit more sense given the the way that everything is constructed right now. But yeah, I think that I'll I'll buy into Kess a little bit just because the best version of him might provide more value than the best version of Cam. Because the best version of Cam is essentially just you know a, a lesser Kyrie Irving in a lot of ways. He's a great mid-range shooter. He can get to the line. He is a three-level scorer when he's at his best. We've seen that in summer league against the Knicks and, and, and a few other games th- this season. So it's maybe terms of did the Nets just go all out on what their strength is in terms of offense and just throw a Cam Thomas out there? Or do they try and fill in a weakness with Kessler Edwards? It, it, it'll be interesting to see, and I think that's – you know, the, the challenge for the coaching staff and, and, and what the rotation juggling is going to be going forward. Yeah, I think, like, I'm, I'm generally a fan of going all in in your strengths. I think some of the problem the Nets had earlier this year was they were trying to be something that they are. And I think we've seen this year, like, they have the defensive personnel to be good defensively when they're locked in and offensively when they go to, like, the three-guard stuff and play four four shooters and four-out one-in, like, there's very few teams that can run up and down with them. And then when Kyrie's there and assuming Ben's there pushing in transition, like if Ben is there, like you have as much defense as you need. I think like trying to balance like a cam, imagine cam's ability to like pull up off a screen with Ben as a screener. Like I just think he, he, oh, he's just more dynamic than Kess in my opinion in a playoff setting. 
You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Totally, totally. There's a totally fair argument for that there. Um, in terms of getting back to, to Seth Curry, I saw this on Reddit. I've got a couple of things that I found from, from Nets Reddit. Um, always a fun place to scour every now and then. They pointed out to the fact that Seth Curry might have been the most important acquisition for the Nets purely for this season alone. Obviously, Ben, given his youth, given his talent going forward, is going to be a much more important player. Is there an argument that can be made for Seth Curry's value for this team being more important than than Ben and, and, and Drummond, obviously. But he's been, and last night was proof, and, and and how he's been playing as a Brooklyn net. And before I get your thoughts, I wanted to obviously throw out this stat yet again. He leads the team in terms of on-off numbers. According to Cleaning the Glass, which filters out any garbage time, he's ahead of Kevin Durant and is plus 11.6 per 100 possessions when he's on the floor. And that's at 381 minutes. Kevin Durant is plus 11.5. You know, he's, I think it was like the last time I, I gave those numbers, he was at like plus 10. So he's continuing to absolutely rise in those sort of rankings. But Seth Curry, and that's the 96th percentile. He has been insane for the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, man. I, 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 it's tough. I think due to the circumstances, like you can argue that because Joe's not there, which means spacing, Seth's spacing and shooting ability becomes even more valuable. And I, I still think, Ben fully healthy is like the best trade piece. But I think that like because they got Seth and not a Danny Green, like they can win a championship, even if Ben is hurt. Like Seth, because Seth is really not just a shooter. Like he can play make at a decent enough level. He can he's one of the best pull-up shooters in the league. Like I, I can see why people would make that argument. Cause Ben's injured right now, and it's like you can go into a playoff game and say Kyrie or Dragon, like, say none of the guards really have it tonight. You can say, Seth, you handle the ball and Kyrie and Dragic, or you play off ball. Like, he just gives them a different dynamic that, and last year, I'm pretty sure in game seven, he had 37 against the, against the Hawks. So I could see why people would make that argument. Like, he's a high-level starter. I'm not sure the contract he's going to get because of his age. Like, he's already 32. So at the end of next offseason, he'll be 33. But, like, if he was in his 20s and he was on the open market, he would get $20 million a year. Easy, in my opinion. He, he's playing you know, a level of basketball that is you know, maybe the best of his career. You know, he was awesome in Dallas as well. He was so goddamn important to, to, to Philadelphia in terms of what they were doing in the two-man game with Embiid and him, as well as Ben Simmons and him. You know, when you know, those two were healthy. He's just such a good you know, role player that you want to have on your team. He's one of the best, if not the best, three-point shooters in the league. 
as you alluded to, you know, he can hit the, the mid-range shot. He can get to the line a, a little bit. You know, he's just got, you know, he's probably not getting to the line of heat, but he's certainly got at least a two-level scorer, which is probably all you need, you know, you, as a role player. You don't need to be a three-level scorer as a role player. You've got KD and Kyrie. You can do that better than anyone else. His numbers since joining the Nets, 16.8 points on 50% shooting from the field, 47.6% from three on seven on seven attempts, 84% from the line. Also has three rebounds, three assists, and, a, and 1.1 steals uh, to go with 0.2 blocks. Those are pretty good numbers. And, and look, I'm not a box score number and, and whatever, but sometimes you look at the stats and do they back up what you're thinking? They certainly do. Definitely. Like, he... And it's crazy because, like, it's not like his, it's not like he's really gotten the luxury of playing in the role that he came here to play. Like, he was brought here to play off of the stars and, like, probably average 15 to 16 that way. So imagine his efficiency, like, when he's able to spot up more and play off the ball two of the three stars. So 47%, I'm pretty sure before he was at net, like, he was at 47% on catch-and-shoot threes. So I imagine that number is going to go up when everybody's healthy. Like that, that's been a home run part of the trade. Like single, like we don't question the net shooting anymore, even without Joe, like that was a big deal uh, before the trade. Like do the nets have enough shooting? Like he's a big reason we see these non too big lineups work. Definitely. And you know, the only game that we did see, you know, it happened him playing in his more natural role was that Philadelphia game. His numbers in that Philadelphia game, 24 points, uh, two assists, five steals. I don't know how he got those five steals. A block. But more importantly, 10 of 14 from the field, four of eight from three. That's what he's doing, you know, and what he did last night coming off the ankle injury. Uh, are you worried about that ankle injury at all? Because he did say it's going to be a pain management thing more than anything. And so there's a part of me that's just like, oh, but the, if he's going to play the way he did last night, then maybe my worries, you know, have already been alleviated. I saw somewhere that he said that he's been dealing with it all year, I think, which it makes me like feel a little better that, I mean, he probably already, he's probably already compensated for it already this year. So he probably knows how to deal with it. However, if that's wrong and like, this is a new development, then I'll for sure be more worried because like you put him out the lineup or he's hobbled like that, that just changes everything. Because everyone has to basically play up a role. Definitely. And I, I tried to find the article and I was lucky enough to find it from Chris Mulholland. He said, as long as it's not getting worse, I should be good. So we'll, uh, it's going to be, it's just frustrating that the Nets have so many different injury issues to deal with and backs and, you know, obviously KD coming off his knee and Kari with his part-time status. It's just a, 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 fr a frustrating thing overall. But ultimately, you know, Seth knows his body better than any other. And the Nets, you know, are going to play it, you know, overly cautious towards the end of the year as well. You know, they seem to be, uh, they're not going to get too high in the standings, higher than six. And I think they would rather have Seth Curry fresh and have his ankles all good uh, rather than sort of trying to get that seven seed over the eight seed or whatever. So uh, we'll, we'll wait and see how it plays out. But another role player that has been playing out of his mind, Shane, has been Bruce Brown. And Nets Reddit put this one out there as well, that Bruce Brown is the biggest winner of the Harden trade. For, I think a lot of people have put out the numbers or whatever, but in case those that haven't been on Twitter or haven't seen it in general, since that hardened trade, he's averaging 13.9 points on 52.1% shooting from the field, 
39.4% from three on two attempts, six boards, 3.4 assists, 1.6 steals, and 0.6 blocks. Bruce has been awesome, man. He's been, like, probably the best role player in the NBA for, like, the last month. Like, it's – his defense has been amazing. His three-point shot has looked a lot better. Like, when he shoots, especially from the corners, like, I think it's going in. It's kind of basically been, like, a P.J. Tucker with, like, better ball skills and better playmaking, which is, like, insane to think about. I think a big re- – I also think he benefited from Bembry being cut because, like, when you have two guys that kind of play similarly that are both in the contract years, I'm sure that could, like, maybe he wasn't, you know, playing. Maybe that was a factor as well. But I definitely see changes in, like, he doesn't just get the ball with four on the shot clock anymore. Like, after somebody dribbles the first 20 and then just passes it to, to him with four and he has to take a shot. Like, the Nets, the ball, I think he's been a big beneficiary of the ball movement so many guys being able to handle he's even handled the ball more like in transition for example he doesn't like he's not he doesn't have tunnel vision but it's not like he's not looking to pass like i felt like before when james was here like he was the first guy they looked for after a rebound now everyone's pushing and kind of just playing basketball and playing freely and i think it it shows because it's like he hasn't even kyrie's been gone for most of that time KD's been gone, I think, for maybe the first five or six games, like, of that stretch that you named. So, imagine when he's able to get even easier shots playing off these guys. Like, sure, the points might come down, but the efficiency is going to rise. So, he's definitely made himself a lot of money in the last month. He definitely has. And I think you alluded to, you know, both ends of the floor. The the offense is what's impressed me the most. You know, that float is back. He's attacking the rim more, more aggressively, like, wanting to draw contact. He's a strong dude. That dude has shoulders like Dwight Howard. Like, he is a, a big, big guy. He's got a, a footballer's body. And, you know, he's making the, the right decisions. He's playing. You know, we talked about instinctual basketball with, with KD and Kyrie. He's ba- he's playing confidently and instinctually. You know, he's got a, a heap of skills. And I love his mentality. I love his aggressiveness. You know, him speaking after the game, you know, with Portland, he's just like, well, they're doubling off of KD. That's a that's disrespectful to me. I want to make them pay for that, and he is. He's making them pay. He's finding space and like, okay, I can make this little uh, little floater here. I can get around you, or I can draw contact with you here. You know, he's not going to hit your your mid ranges. He's not going to be Seth Curry like that. But he has, you know, little bits of his game that are are being opened up by the the gravity that KD and Kyrie do have. And like you alluded to, when the the gravity is even more so when both of them are there. And Seth's there. We've seen what Bruce can do with a, a heap of space. That's when his floater looks great. And, you know, his floater has looked great also. And he can also get to the rim, you know, and use his strength to hopefully get a few free throws. So uh, he's been, you know, absolutely, absolutely great. And, and and I think he can only get better as the team starts to get more available. Definitely. And you asked me earlier in the pod, like, some lineups I think Ben can play in. I think because of the emergence of Bruce as, like, the corner shooter, like, Ben and Bruce should probably be the closing lineup against every team that doesn't have, like, a traditional bruising big where, like, you need a true five. Because what kind of excites me the most is, like, you talked about gravity. What I think people underrate with Ben is, like, he has real role gravity, like, at the rim. Like, he's going to draw two. Like, come, if he's a screener and he's, and he's coming off the screen, he's going to draw two. There's no other net that kind of has that kind of, like, level of, like, 
Ben, if, if you put if you implement Ben into the flow of the offense right now, he's probably a top ten lob threat in the league. So, comparing that level of scoring in the interior with like the shot creation we have, and the combining the vertical spacing with the perimeter spacing, like you pretty much have every important part of offense set. Like you have shooting, you have shot creation, you have a good screen setter, you have the Ben would be probably the best short road threat in the NBA because like he's a great passer and he can finish. So that's probably the lineup I'm most excited to see. Like with the way Bruce has played, if you have Bruce there defensively guarding the point of attack and you pair him with Ben and KD and you have Seth and Kyrie uh, as a as the guards, like I think that's the most balanced lineup that the Nets can put out. And we can run. Like I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see it. Sorry. Get me excited as well, mate. I think you saying that. Obviously, Ben has to be, you know, a, a, a really willing screener, which he's shown at points. And the, the one thing that I'm hesitant to sort of totally buy into what you're saying is, you know, is he going to be as willing a screener given the physicality that it requires to be a consistent screener in terms of, you know, his back issues or whatever. But I think sparingly, I think that can be a real weapon. And I also think that you sort of alluded to sort of, you know, the pick and roll. Him and Dragic could be a, a lot of fun in, in some second unit sort of lineups as well. Dragic's ball handling. Some of his passing, I think, has gone under the wayside. I want to see you do a thread about it or something because what he's been doing with the ball in his hands, some of the bigs aren't, some of the bigs aren't ready for his passes. And it's just like Ben is obviously just a much stronger and more capable player in terms of just as on the offense. But Clax and Drummond, like, they need to get their hands ready because Dragic's just on dimes. Yeah, his passing is insane, man. Like, it, it he like the the pass he threw to the second row last night was probably the first inaccurate pass I've seen him throw since he's been with the Nets. Like, he pass he passes like it's like a great quarterback. Like he throws guys open. Like, if you're where you're supposed to be, like you'll get the ball. It, it and it's really unique because I kind of think. What he brings, the dynamic I think Dragic brings with his passing is kind of like what we saw the first two games before Dinwiddie got hurt. He's kind of like the guard that could play on and off the ball that doesn't really care if he scores a bunch, that kind of just settles everything and lets everyone play into their natural role. So, like, Kyrie doesn't really have to worry. Like, Kevin, like, Katie and Kyrie could obviously serve as, like, the lead playmaker of an offense, but, like, they can focus on scoring because they know they have a true point guard that can – get guys where they're supposed to be, make the right decision, make the right pass, make the right read. Yeah, and you, you alluded to their their danger off the ball. And I, I've sort of sort of talked about, you know, Dragic, you know, realizing and starting to understand some of KD's tendencies. I think he's already a pretty natural fit alongside Kyrie. So I just think that you you probably pointed it out, and I'm sure Nick, it was music to his ears, basically saying that Dragic is essentially the Mike James replacement. Dragic is a, a really credible, solid presence in terms of, you know, how he just... You know, can run the show. He's essentially, you know, Steve Nash. If Steve Nash was out there on the floor as a, a 40-year-old like he was in Lakerland. But you know, I want to get to a, a final, a bit of a fun question, Shane. And you can obviously throw some my way if you had any other Nets things you wanted to chat about. But, you know, we love this current iteration of the team. But for those that might not know, in terms of previous iterations of this team, we saw people talking about, you know, the Nets were more fun when they had Dinwiddie and, and D'Angelo Russell and all that sort of thing. In terms of those players, or maybe even ones before that in, you know, previous days, New Jersey days, whatever, do you have any favorite former Nets that it's just like, whether they're currently playing or not playing anymore, that it's just like, man, I used to love Joe Johnson, or I'm always keeping up with what Jared Allen's doing, or DeAngelo Russell in Minnesota. Any guys stick out for you? 
Um, on that 18-19 team, I'll probably say uh, Karras and Jared Allen are probably the two. Like, and it's nice seeing them together in Cleveland. But especially Karras, like, I feel like he was just a great guy and battling the injuries that he battled here to, you know, he was pretty much our best player before he got hurt in uh, 2018. And what you said about, like, the 18-19 team, man, I hate when people say that. It's like, people don't remember when we were 8-18, we were doing mock drafts for Zion. Like, that wasn't fun. And we kind of knew, like, that we needed superstars to take the next step. But for previous iterations, this is going to probably surprise some people, but one of my favorite Nets is Isaiah Whitehead because I'm from Brooklyn. Seeing him, like, kind of develop from high school as a Brooklyn native, going to Lincoln, then staying locally, going to Seat Hall, winning them a Big East championship, to them playing for my favorite team and being the first Brooklyn native, and since then the only Brooklyn native to be drafted by the Nets, like, that's just cool for me. That's a that's a deep cut, and I like it. I was always a fan of Isaiah. I think it's you sort of saying that it just it immediately springs to mind. It's just it's Patty Mills, you know, what he's been as, as a Brooklyn Net, just the the connection that goes beyond basketball, seeing, you know, a guy suit up for a team that you love so much. And, you know, hopefully, you know, and I say why they're doing some fun stuff internationally as well, but I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of people that might not be the biggest fans of D'Angelo Russell, but if I'm totally honest, I was a big D'Lo fan. I wasn't a no, stand. Uh, yeah, I was too. I was too. I was too. But I think, I, I, I feel like I was kind of blinded. And I, and I for sure respect what he did when he was here. Like, and I thought he should have gotten the max, but just like some of the stuff he does, like since then, like when uh, Lamelo got hurt, like tweeting that Anthony Edwards should be rookie of the year. It's just like stuff like that. It's like I, I was a big fan for sure, and I thought he should have gotten the max, and he's probably one of my like five to ten favorite Nets ever. But I mean, I feel like we all kind of have more attachment to the homegrown guys, like the guys that were drafted, et cetera. Like you kind of want to see them. I guess, like, be a part of the championship team. No doubt, no doubt. And that's why, you know, we probably love Clack so much. I've always had a soft, spot for Joe, a soft spot for Joe Harris. I think maybe the soft spot for D'Angelo Russell is because that's when my true obsession with this team continued to grow and we started having some success with the Brooklyn Bars and, you know, just the, those Coogie jerseys as well were, were a lot of fun. Nah, yeah, they, they need to bring that. Well, they got sued, but they need to find a way to, to get a loophole. That. Find the yeah, loophole because, yeah, man, they were so good. And I think uh, a lot of Nets fans are over these city jerseys uh, by this point in time. And yeah, it would be nice to see Kyrie in, like, one of those Cougie shooting sleeves or whatever. But, oh, man, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. Anything else you wanted to chat about, Shane? Oh, what do you think, like, ultimately, like, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But when, when, when James, like, I, it's a two-part question. When James was here and he got traded, do you think did you think he was coasting or did you think he was washed? Like, did you think he was coasting slash quit to be in Philly, or did you think he was washed then? Versus what you think of him now, based on like what you've seen, I guess, so far in his Philly tenure. And the second question is, do you view Ben Simmons as like a flip piece, like in the future to maybe get another star? Like, I guess as Cam develops, as Dayron develops, and we have those picks. Or do you think, like, would you prefer he be the third star? That's a it's a really interesting point. Well, on the James Harden point, I honestly, I was probably, we all have the subjective bias of being a fan and wanting to be, like, right or wrong about what we think. And I thought that 
we saw flashes of James Harden in certain games. Like there was the Clippers game that sort of sticks out um, to be probably being the main one. But I think ultimately what, what he is now is not a bona fide MVP contender, which is what he was when he first came to the Nets. He was genuinely in that MVP conversation and he was a little bit out of shape like he is now, but he was still playing that way. Whereas now it seems to me just whether it's mentality, whether it's, you know, just his love for the game, uh, I don't think he's going to get back to that. Whereas we talked about our other two superstars peaking and, and playing at a, an insane level of basketball. So I think that it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I think definitely the way that he handled his exit was completely wrong. And obviously he, he apparently scouted a few agents to figure out, because he doesn't have an agent, how he should exit. I don't think he was injured. Uh, I think that, I honestly don't think that all he definitely was not. He didn't, or, or maybe he was sore, but not to the extent of, you know, being out for like a hand, like the hand injury is the one that sticks out. Like, yeah, he's probably had a sore hamstring, maybe needs some strengthening or whatever. But like the hand injury was just goddamn ridiculous. Like that made yeah. no sense at all. Um, and what he is now, I, I think he's a top 15 to 25 player, which is still like all NBA caliber, all-star caliber, but I think on a given night, when you want one player out there and you want them to be at their absolute peak, I don't think he has his absolute peak anymore. I think that you know his step back doesn't look as as crispy. He doesn't have that floater anymore, which was a, a real big weapon to his game. He would just sort of and because like it, he would have like a, a roll man and a big man, and it's just like is he going to throw the, thro- the floater to the big man or is he going to th- throw the float floater to uh, the rim? He's relying yeah. too much on his physicality and strength right now, which is. Something that he's done in the past, but I just think that, you know, and I could be wrong. You know, come next off season, he could be running the, the steps up to, you know, the, the Rocky statue uh, more than once on, on Instagram and actually getting in into shape. I think that's going to be the determining factor to whether James Harden can be MVP, you know, top five player in the league. But I'm not sure he can because it's a lot harder to do that when you get into your 30s. Um, than it is when you're in your mid-20s or whatever. And there's a part of me that just thinks that he wants it a little bit easier um, and he doesn't have the same desire for you know for the, for the process that some other superstars do. I also think, like, he saw his decline coming, in my opinion. And I think that's why he came to Brooklyn. Because, I, I, like, when everyone was saying he was washed when he was with the Nets, like, I went back and watched games from last year. He was honestly moving just as slow last year. I think the difference was, like, at this point in his career, he's more lineup dependent. Like, he needs those spacers. He needs that lob threat. Like, last year, basketball was pretty easy for him. Even when he was – even when Kyrie and Katie were out the lineup, it's, like, basically, like, you beat your man one-on-one to see they're going to be a layup or lob or a pass to the corner for three, which is his game. Like, a lot of his floaters were uncontested. This year, because of the lack of spacing, you saw more contested floaters. You saw more contested finishes. I think he's more lineup dependent. And I think I actually think, like, the loss in step was from the bubble to last year. It's just that last year, the Nets always had elite shooting on the court. Like, Jeff Green was at 40% for a lot of the year. They had Shamit. Obviously, Kyrie was 50-40-90. KD was that. Tyler Johnson was still okay as well. Yeah, Tyler Johnson was a good shooter. KD, I think, was 44% from three. So he always, like, he got to play Mike Dean. He got to play Rockets basketball with better pieces, basically. So I think his decline was hidden. But this year, when they actually, like, 
when the team wasn't tailored because D and Tony's not there anymore. And when the team was actually tailored to like being a team, like when we used to hear like early in the season, like a lot of his stands and a lot of fans saying that the roster construction is bad. They were really just saying the roster construction is bad for James. That's really what they were saying. So I think in Philly, like he probably trusts Daryl Morey to like build a team around him where he could play his style of basketball. So I expect next year, his numbers will probably look better, but I mostly agree with you. Like before he got traded, I thought he was just dogging it. And because of games like the Clippers, the Lakers on Christmas, even the Lakers game uh, right before he got traded, that he had these games in him. He was just dogging it to get to Philly. But it's like every time Philly plays against good good teams, it's the same story as when he was with the Nets. And I see like stuff on Sixers, Reddit, stuff on Twitters when they're like saying the same stuff that we were saying. Is he coasting? is he coasting or is he injured or I don't know. Like it just sounds so similar to me that I think he just might be like, obviously not washed because he's still an all-star all NBA guy, as you said, but in terms of perennial top five player MVP candidate, like I, I don't think he's that anymore. No, no. And then to get on to the second question about Ben Simmons, it's an interesting one because I think I saw this pose, you know, a couple of days, a couple of weeks ago, and I actually have it in my notes as another talking point. So um, I was going to put it on the dot, but I'm like, you know what, I'll try and save it for maybe if I get another podcast or I get to chat to Shane again. But I, I, it's a good thing to sort of talk about because you know, did, does Ben Simmons need to actually play so he can acclimate himself to the Nets and go, look, I want to be here. This is what I can do. You guys need me. Or is it the other way around? Is it just like, you know, how much is Ben's value to the franchise or how much is franchise value to Ben? You know, it's it's an interesting sort of thing because, you know, we know how much, you know, KD, Kyrie, they've got their mates, they're, you know, so many players and superstars respect them, whether it's Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, or these sort of guys, you know, that, that I would not be surprised if there's some sort of rumor that could link one of those guys to Brooklyn, given just you know, what, what their ties to are to in terms of, you know, friendships and superstar building up and all that sort of thing. So I think that ultimately, I think Ben needs to play well. I think he needs to remind people that he is an all-NBA level player, one of the five best defensive players in the league, you know, when he's switched on and when he's engaged and just show them and go, okay, I'm here. You guys need me. I can be the ultimate third superstar next to you. You don't need a, a Tatum or a Donovan Mitchell or I think as Paul was saying, Nikola Jokic. Uh, I, I just it's interesting because he gives you more defense and, and and covers up a lot of the weaknesses and not necessarily weaknesses, but a lot of the the burden on that end of the floor that can allow Kate, Kyrie and Katie to just be the purest and best offensive versions of themselves, which is dangerous to think about for opposing teams. So I think you can make a credible argument either way. But I, ultimately, I do think in terms of just Ben Simmons overall, he needs to get back and just play high-level basketball just for, his own, just for his own confidence and get himself back out there. It's sort of like, you know, go, all right, yep, I'm an all-NBA-level player. I'm a, a truly transcendent athlete. You know, people compare him to Magic Johnson as a, as a point guard, a guy that's like 6'10". He's taller than LeBron. He's more athletic than the – he's like as athletic as like peak LeBron. So – He's got all these gifts. It, it, how much is his back thing going to affect him? And it's been affecting him for a very long time. It's like a couple three of years, years now, I think. Yeah. So it's just like, uh, I, I, in my heart of hearts, I think this can be the best situation for him. I think that this trade probably, you know, is a massive win for him rather than going to a, a Sacramento or an Indiana or wherever else that might be because 
one, he's in, uh, you know, he, he's he got a place in New Jersey. You know, him and, and Maya Jammer and his family, you know, they seem to be really enjoying the environment there. He seems to be enjoying being on the sidelines. I think his personality fits in well in terms of the low-key sort of introverted style with, with Kai and, and with Kev. And I also do think that he can be just a, a really seamless fit. And uh, I just, I'm, I'm hoping for the best for him because, uh, and I think also having Patty there, you know, we saw when Ben came out, you know, during the Sixers game for some warm-ups, who was right behind him? It was it was our boy Paddy Mills. So, and I think that that could maybe make Paddy Mills stay around, you know, a little bit longer, which I would obviously love too. So, there's so many different wrinkles to it. But uh, I don't know. How would you answer your own question? Um, a lot of it is dependent on how, like, obviously how he plays when he returns. But I think like the guy I, I'm really looking at is flipping Ben for it. Next year, I've already spoken it into existence. The Lakers are going to trade Westbrook, retool, be back in business. The Warriors' young players will ascend. Grizzlies are going to get better. Chris Paul is going to decline a bit, and then Devin Booker is going to reevaluate his situation a year before free agency. And they're going to look at the fact that Cam Thomas has continued to improve. Ben Simmons rebuilt his value. We have those two sixer picks. And Devin Booker with the year left of free agency says, trade me to Brooklyn. Bro, we, I mean, we've seen him in a Brooklyn Nets jersey before. When, um, yeah, I think with, uh, with, with D-Lo, he's an all-star. And I think he's the perfect guy, like, to play with KD and Kyrie. Like, you're talking about what Seth is giving you, but 6'6 out of all-NBA level, basically. On three levels. His defense has improved as well, you know, the, the last couple of years also. And it's just like... Man, I, I can only imagine what the Nets would be with those three. You know, it would just be next level hoops. It would be uh, like it's the sort of, you know, hoopers versus basketballers argument. It's just like these guys are just hoopers night after night after night. And it would be pretty insane to see. Let, let's let's put it that way. And and, and, and it'd be funny as well because of, you know, the, the Ben Simmons and Devin Booker connections given, you know, their yeah, dating. I forgot, I forgot about that. But that's like the only type of player I would I think I would flip him for. Like a, a three-level guy that's like a wing that can also play make for others. Like other than that, I'd rather keep him. I'd probably go with Tatum. Tatum would be my guy if, if oh, yeah, yeah. He's a guy. He's a guy for sure. But I I think it's gonna be hard to get him because I think true. he's a free agent twenty twenty six. True. True, true, true. Mate, this was a, a heap of fun. Tell everyone where they can find you because if you are not following everything that sh- that Shane puts out, podcast, audio tweets whatever it might be then you're doing yourself a disservice shane where can the people find you mate all right so i'm on twitter that's really where i'm on most of the time you can find me on twitter on my personal account at the real sjc underscore the real sjc underscore and like as jack said earlier in the pod like i've done a thread i plan on doing another one soon in the next next marquee game a thread of like breakdown of the game, what I see, et cetera. And then I also have a podcast and you can follow and never miss a podcast episode by following NetsManUp underscore on Twitter. Love it, mate. This was a heap of fun. Can't wait to do it again soon. Make sure you follow in all of those platforms from Shane. Make sure you subscribe to the Brooklyn Buzz. Five stars, guys. Check out all the merch at tpublic.com and, bay, and baby, it is a Nets world. Thank you for having me, man. Thanks, brother. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.